Hello everyone, it's great to be with you today. Happy Father's Day. Here at Redeemer East Harlem, we're almost at the end of a sermon series called Marked by Joy, a study of Philippians. And we've been wrestling with the question, what does a life look like that is marked by the joy that's found in Christ? And for those of you who are uh, tuning in for the first time, let me catch you up a little bit. So the book of uh, Philippians is a letter found in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul from jail. And in it, he is uh, dealing with practical issues of Christian living, how to live as a Christian, especially with regards to how we deal with adversity. You know, how do we, how are we marked by joy when life throws you difficulties? And so we're, we come to the last chapter of the book and we will look at one of the enemies of that joy, anxiety. And we will look at our passage under these three headings. The anxious heart, the way to joy, and the peace that sustains it. The anxious heart, the way to joy, and the peace that sustains it. So let's look at the first one now. The anxious heart. About four weeks ago, a month ago, uh, while we were here in New York City, still in the darkest, some of the darkest moments of the pandemic, we at home received a call from my mom's doctor. My mom, out of an abundance of caution, had, um, you know, because she's uh, in her late 60s and a cancer survivor, had gone tested for the COVID-19 virus. And this call, the voice in this call was stern and uh, serious, and I can hear it. Uh, and it said that she had tested positive. And as we hear this news, a wave of soberness comes on all of us in the house. You know, what does this mean? Will she be okay? Uh, what's going to happen with my mom? Um, things like that. You know, in that moment, my mom was asymptomatic. Uh, but the news was still very scary. Because, you know, this virus has been such a, so difficult to decipher that being asymptomatic really didn't mean anything. Anything could happen. And so we were worried and we were told that we had to quarantine her immediately. And that left us with a lot of questions, you know, like, how about us? Uh, do we have it? And how about our newborn? You know, is he in danger? And so a wave of anxiety came over all of us at home. I'm sure some of you can identify with that feeling. Uh, a lot of us here in New York City have experienced something like that. But maybe for you, is something different. Maybe for you, it wasn't a call from a doctor. Maybe it was a call from your employer telling you that they had to let you go because they couldn't hold on to you due to the economic fallout from the virus, from the pandemic. And so your heart was filled with anxiety. Like, how are you going to pay the bills? How are you going to make ends meet? How are you going to put food on the table? And so you feel anxiety. Or maybe it's none of those, but you do feel concern and worry about what kind of a place it is that we live in, this country, what it has been, what it is, and what it could be. Perhaps you have children and you worry about them growing up in a place where there is systemic injustice, rampant, and where, you know, people of color have been devalued historically, and you worry. Perhaps you worry about the young men in your community. If they encounter law enforcement, will they be treated fairly? You ask yourself, and, and so you feel worry and anxiety. And so you see, uh, what Paul has to tell us here is relevant. Whether we're Christian or not, it's relevant. How do we handle fear? 
How do we handle anxiety? Anxiety. And so some of us may be tempted to um, ask Paul, you know, Paul, what do you know about dealing with anxiety? Why should I listen to you? And if you've been here in the previous sermons of this series, you know that, as I said before, Paul is writing from jail, from a Roman jail. And in this dungeon, he is facing the possibility of execution. He doesn't know yet if he's going to be released or executed. He's in limbo. So can you imagine the anxiety of a man in this circumstance? And, you know, we see it in chapter 1, verse 19, uh, 19 and 21. He, he, his life hung on, on the balance on the decision of a Roman official somewhere. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, I trust that I will be released, but if I don't, that's okay. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, that is a man who was, who was standing in victory. He wasn't freaking out, you know. How did he do that? Facing the possibility of execution. And he was saying things like that. Well, it's because he had found a way to deal with the anxiety. Such a way that it allowed you not to only survive, but to stand firm, as he tells us to do in chapter 4, verse 1, that was read to us. A way to deal with the conflict, the anxieties that come from broken relationships and conflicts as we see in verse 2 of the passage that was read to us. You know, he, there, he mentions a conflict between Yoda and Syntyche. How do, you, how do you deal with anxiety that comes from broken relationships? Paul concludes that there is a way to deal with anxiety that leads to a joy that is so deep that not even death can take it away. You know, the American Psychological Association defines anxiety as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension and worried thoughts. Tension and worried thoughts. The picture that I get in my mind is those photographs that you get that you can buy from Great Adventure when you go on a roller coaster. You know what I'm talking about. You see the people there grabbing onto the, to the bar in front of them like really, really tight. Their teeth grinning and their eyes open wide in fear or like really close shut in terror. I love roller coasters, by the way. I get this picture, tension and worried thoughts. And those worried thoughts, that inner tension, are all future-oriented. They're not about the present. They look towards the future and they grapple with attempts to try to control it. And of course, there is no controlling the future, just like there is no, no way of controlling the roller coaster when you're sitting in that train car. You can't do it. We don't have that power. And so the more we try to control, the more anxious we become. And don't get me wrong. Uh, what I mean, it's not like that we don't prepare for the future. It doesn't mean that we don't save up money for retirement, for example, or that we don't get health insurance or insurance, or that we don't take care of our bodies. That's not what I mean. What I do mean is that there are powers so beyond us that no matter how much we try to pad that train car and that roller coaster that we're on, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we're still in the roller coaster 
and the roller coaster is going to do what the roller coaster is going to do. So, the more we attempt to control the uncontrollable, the more we sacrifice our mental peace, and the more we can damage our relationships and even devastate our physical health. But what's interesting though, anxiety and attempts to control the future are not only harmful for our, for our health, mental and physical and spiritual, it also shows us that we don't trust the one that does, the one that does control the future. And so Paul is sharing with us the secrets that he found, the way to, the way to deal with anxiety, with victory and joy, in that he shares with us, and we'll look at it in, ver in, in our second point, the way to joy. Let's go to the second point, the way to joy. Verse 4 of the passage that was read to us says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It would have been terrible if Paul would have just said, Do not be anxious, and stop right there. You simply can't just not be anxious. You can't will your mind to stop thinking about those things that are making you fearful about the future. They're there, and you need to do something with them. You need to do something with that, with that anxiety. Eastern religions know that. Even secular self-help self books and techniques know that too. For example, they, they point you to mantras to clear your mind or... Um, ex breathing exercises or uh, techniques, you know, to help you relax. And while some of these may be helpful in some ways, limited ways, from the Christian perspective, they don't go nearly as deep enough. They don't go deep enough. The Christian way of dealing with anxiety is twofold. To pray and to think. To pray and to think. Both of these are in the passage that, we, that was read to us. You know, when we pray, we deal with our hearts. And when we think, we obviously deal with our minds. The Christian way of dealing with anxiety is to pray and to think. So let's look at to pray first. Again, <clears throat> verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let's examine this section by section because it's really important. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. There is no situation left out. You may think that God only hears about the big stuff, you know, like um, vaccine for COVID-19 or global warming or ending world hunger, things like that. And of course, he hears prayers for those things. But here Paul is saying every situation. That means that there is no such a thing that you may be going through that God does not want to hear about. Your father wants to hear it all. What is that situation? Bring it to him in prayer. You may think, well, it might sound silly, me telling him, you know, this situation that I'm worried about. Well, try him. Bring it. Whatever it is. Next. By prayer and petition. 
Prayer is an amazing gift that God has given us. It's a vehicle of faith by which we can communicate to Him, present ourselves to Him. And because God is a spirit and He's everywhere, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in a hospital bed or at home alone or at work stressed out. If you come to God in prayer with faith, He's there with you and you can talk to Him. Through prayer, we offer up our desires to Him. We leave our anxieties in His hands and we take instead gifts of peace for our hearts. Next, with thanksgiving. All our requests need to be presented with thanksgiving. Because when you do that, what you're saying is, Lord, whatever you do in response to this request is good. If I ask you something when it's not the right time for me to receive it and you don't give it to me, I thank you for that. If I ask you something and you give me the opposite, I may not be happy about it, but I thank you for that because I know that you love me and that you're wise. You see, to thank God beforehand, ahead of time for the things that we ask of Him, is telling Him that we trust Him, that we have confidence in Him, and that He is wise, and that He, can, that he has good care of us. Next, present your request. We bring our request. You know, our honest, real, detailed, even mundane request. And of course, this implies that He hears it, He hears our requests, He cares about them, and He has the power and the willingness to answer our requests according to His will. And finally, to God. The Christian knows that God is their Father because, Jesus, because of Jesus' redeeming work on our behalf. He taught us to pray, right? Jesus did. He said, when you pray, say this. Our Father, who art in heaven, we have access to Him like a child has access to their father. We have access to interrupt Him, to pull on His leg and say, I want to, you know, as a child that pulls on their parents, on their father's leg because they want to climb up on His lap, because they want to go up to His face and ask Him for ice cream. That's the kind of access we have with God because He's our Father. And today, you know, parenthesis here, today is Father's Day, and many of you may have, a, may have had wonderful fathers, and you understand this image, and it warms your heart. But many of you, I know, um, did not have kind fathers, or fathers who were present at all, and for that, I'm really sorry. But I want to tell you that you do have a father, a father who is interested in what you have to say to Him, a Father who's interested in your well-being, a, a Father who welcomes you into His loving arms. But not only that, I hope that here in our church, we can be such a community where there is an abundance of loving father and mother figures that can reflect God's love for you. And so, this God, our Father, the Creator, eternal Creator of the universe, who in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, providentially upholds heaven and earth with all its creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. So to Him, 
who has all this power and can do more than we could ever imagine with the things that we ask him. We come to him as little children bringing our petitions to their dad. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. The Christian way of dealing with anxiety is twofold. To pray, which we just saw, and to think. Let's look at think. We see this in verse 8 in our passage. It says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. We just saw that we can't just stop worrying by sheer will of the mind. We need to do something with those anxious thoughts, i.e. we pray them to God. In the same way, our mind can't just stay blank. That's not what it was meant to do. If you take out anxious thoughts out of your mind, you have to put something in it, in its place. And so that's why we see Paul's instructions here to think of things that are noble and right, pure and lovely, etc. And just to be clear, this is not a call to think about, you know, little bunnies or cute puppies, things like that. No. This is a call to think deeply, think deeply of the truths that you know. Let's look at Jesus, uh, what Jesus has to say on the subject in the other classic text of the New Testament that deals with anxiety. We see it in Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you, <clears throat> your Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So you see, Jesus is telling us to look and consider. That's a really nice way to say, think, ponder, meditate. Let the truths that you know marinate in your mind. Is desiring food or drink or clothes bad things? Of course not. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But what Jesus is wanting us to do is to put things in perspective so that we don't become anxious about them or overly concerned for these things. So how do we, you know, but how do, we do that? How do we put things in perspective? 
you, th you think of who you are to God. That's what Jesus is showing us. You think of who you are to God. Who are you to Him? Who are you? And how do you know? Think. If He lavishes, lavishes beauty on things that are here today and gone tomorrow, will He not care for you? Think. If He clothes the lilies along the road with gorgeous outfits and they didn't work for them, will He not do that for you? Think. These birds that we see outside, they look well-fed, right? I mean, man, even those nasty New York City pigeons, right? <laughs> Will He not feed you, who are way more, worth way more than they? It's all based on who you are to Him. Who are you to Him? And how do you know? He doesn't want you to be consumed with the fear of the future. He wants you to look at what He's doing now for you. What He's doing, what He's giving you now. Don't miss what He's doing now by being worried about the future. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Think of manna. I was reminded of this in a small devotional book uh, recently. And it said this, uh, For 40 years in the Sinai wilderness, the Lord gave His people manna, which was like a seed that He fed them with. Manna, one day at a time. If they tried to save some for the next day, it grew moldy. The only time they could keep it overnight was in preparation for the Sabbath, when they were, not, uh, when they were to rest from work. The Lord was teaching His people to depend on Him one day at a time. Each morning, they had to trust Him again, that the bread from heaven will fall from the sky. We could substitute the, the word grace for manna. Grace, like manna, is God's gift for our need. But grace is bigger than manna. It sustains us and gives us power. The Lord will give us the grace we need for today. Tomorrow, He will give us the grace we need for tomorrow. When you try to think about tomorrow without having received the power for tomorrow, you will be anxious. Lamentations um, 3, verse 22 and 23 says something similar. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. I know a brother who was going through a divorce. And you know, divorces are very difficult things. And I remember how it was diff difficult for him to even get up in the morning. There were moments during the day when sadness would just overwhelm him. And it, may, it would make him feel like the floor was being taken up. From under him and the fear of the future was overwhelming but God was faithful to him every day there was grace for that day grace for that day grace for that day some of you are going through difficult things too whatever you're going through God will give you grace for the day his compassions never fail they are new every morning
Each day has trouble of its own. So don't pile on the day the trials that don't belong there. There will be trouble tomorrow. You can count on that. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Count on it. But you can also count on this. There will be grace for you tomorrow. God's mercy will be new for you tomorrow morning. Count on that too. And it's all because of who you are to Him. It's all based on who you are. So who are you to Him? Who are you? And how do you know? If we bring our anxieties to God through prayer, and if we think and meditate on who we are to God, the grip of anxiety, the grip that anxiety has on our hearts and minds start to loosen. And in its place come in peace and joy. And this brings us to our last point. The peace that sustains it all. You know, I've been asking you, who are you? Who are you? And how do you know? I've been asking you this question. It's a fundamental question. I've been saying um, that God listens to our prayers and gives us mercy every day because of who we are to Him. Uh, we've been saying that we have access to Him like a child has access to their dad because of who we are to Him. And how do we know? How do we know? So let me ask you straight up. How do you know that God loves you? How do you know? Do you know that God loves you because you have health in your body? No. Well, do you know that God loves you because you have a nice family? No. Well, where, where would all, the, all of us who have broken families be? Or sick bodies, right? So that can be it. Do you know that God loves you because you have a great career or because you're beautiful or because you have money in the bank? No. That's not how we know that God loves us. So how do you know that God loves you? How do you know? You know that God loves you because of the cross. That's it. That is how you know that God loves you. That He would send His Son for you. For me. All our sins, our selfishness, our pettiness, all the ways that we've tried to rule ourselves, our lives, be the master of our own destinies, and, and fail to love our neighbors. All of these things were separating us from God, darkening our minds, hardening our hearts. We were His enemies. And yet, even though we were His enemies, God chose to send His Son for us. That's how we know. Not because of healthy bodies, or, or beautiful families, or great careers. We know that God loves us because He gave His Son for us. And the way He gave His Son, He made Him experience all the things that we deserve to experience. We find Him in the Garden of Gethsemane overwhelmed with anguish and anxiety. Luke twenty-two forty-four, he says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Hemat hematohydrosis, 
blood vessels rupturing under conditions of extreme emotional stress. He took your worry. He took the anxiety. He took it so that you can experience His peace. He knew what was coming the next day, the crucifixion, and He didn't leave because He had you in mind. He had me in mind. The next day on the cross, He cries out, My God, my God, why have, why have you forsaken me? When He was in the middle of the storm of God's silence, and He experienced that so that we never would. And so to answer that question that I've been asking, who are you and how do you know? If you and I, if you are in Jesus, if I am in Jesus, if we trust in Him, then we are God's beloved children. And we know because God sent His Son for us. That's how we know. And if God sent His Son for you, what will He withhold from you? If God sent Jesus for you, what is it that He won't do for you? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. If you are in Jesus, you have peace with God, and He offers you the peace of God. The joy and peace that He Himself delights in, He offers it to you so that you would experience it because Jesus made a way for you. So let's come and cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. As I end, I just want to leave you two application points. The first one is, the fact of the matter is that our hearts forget this all the time. And we need brothers and sisters like Paul did. Verse 3, he had people to help him. And if he needed people to help him, how much we? To help him point, we need people to point us to God, to his promises, to, his, to the truth, to his truths. Number one. Number two, verse 9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put into practice. How are you being an example for others? You know, how are, you, how are you being an encouragement for others? Look for ways to encourage your brothers and sisters in the way. Point them to the, point them to the cross. Point them to the truth. Point them to the promises that God has given us. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to experience the deepest storm of emotional stress and anguish in our place. To experience your silence on the cross so that we would never experience it, so that we may experience your peace and have access to you. Father, we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, come to you in faith and bring all our anxieties and all our worries and deposit them in your hands, Lord, and take all the peace that you have offered to us, trusting that you will provide for everything that we need. And Father, we thank you for the community that you've placed us in, that points us to you, and that keeps us encouraged in you. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.